Amen. Well, one more time, good morning and welcome to South Point. If it is your first time, we are so glad that you are here. And uh, before we get started in the message this morning, and so just kind of a heads up, if you're, if you're watching online, we, we appreciate you being here. But before we get to the message, I'm, I'm going to try and do something with all of us. Um, and this includes everyone that's here in our auditorium. This includes everyone online. Um, before we look into God's Word, I want us to spend just a couple of moments in prayer together, uh, what we call corporate prayer. Uh, you guys know over the last couple of weeks, um, man, this year has been crazy. We've had a pandemic. Um, it's all we kind of talked about. And then we have had a number of just racial issues in America, things that have divided. Um, I told our prayer team this morning, I've, I've listened to more worship music this week because so many things that I listen to on the radio, I just got so tired of hearing, quite frankly, opinions at times and not always facts. Um, and I want us to take a moment this morning as a church, as a body, and spend some time in prayer in a couple of things. And here's, here's how I want to approach this, because I know even within what I'm about to say, if I'm not careful, I can give opinion. And I don't ever want this platform to be something for opinion. So here's what I will do. I will speak a couple of things from Scripture. I know in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that, hey, if you are in Christ, you are made into a new creation like you have been made into something new. And that changes our perspective on a number of things. And so when we pray this morning, here's the perspective that I want to look at. When we are made into a new creation, here's something that happens within that. I forego a couple of things. I release a couple of things. I no longer see myself as a soon-to-be middle-aged, I'm still a little bitter about that, white guy. I'm going to take my race, I'm going to forego that because I know that I have been made into a new creation. And it does not matter what your race is when you enter into that new creation, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Okay? I also know that whenever we are made into a new creation, if we are followers of Christ, we forego our nationality for a citizenship in heaven. And so that, that kind of puts us on a different playing ground because when we pray this morning, I'm getting worked out. I want to pray from a kingdom perspective. I don't, I don't want to pray from a political aspect I don't, on either side. I don't want to pray from an opinion aspect. I want to pray on something that unifies us together and says we're kingdom-minded because we are citizens of said kingdom. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you will, just bow for a moment. Because this is something that we're all included in. And there's a couple of things I want us to pray through. I want us to take a moment where we're at, particularly if we are in Christ and we are focused on those things. And I want us to pray for racial reconciliation that starts, and you can say this, with me. It starts with me. What can I do in order to be a part of of a solution because every year we can go back year and year and year and you can replace a name and like injustice has continued to happen I listened to a podcast earlier this week about a, a protest in st. Louis in 1861 over some of the same things we're talking about in 2020 some of this isn't going to change until Jesus comes back because it's a sin issue at the heart but we play a part in that. And so I want you to pray right now, God, what can I do 
to not be a part of a problem, but to be a part of a solution. What can I do as an individual follower of Christ? How can I lead? How can I listen? How can I contribute? And God, I pray that you would make it very clear to us the times where we need to step back and not have an opinion, God, but we need to listen. And God, sometimes on all sides, that's putting aside some things from past and going, okay, what do we do to make the future better? Pray that there will be racial reconciliation in our country and just across the globe because it's not, I know we talk about it a lot from an American standpoint right now, but it's a global issue. But pray, what can I do individually to tear down barriers and to build things up like the kingdom? And then I want you to take a moment and pray for communities where this at times has gotten out of control. And people have been so caught up in things that we've lost focus on the most important things. And God, pray for, and your church, pray for those communities. Pray for individuals. Pray for families. Pray for people that are hurting and pray that God would point them towards the ultimate solution, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Pray that there would be more new creation in those areas, and that would bring life. And take a moment and pray for some of the other areas that are involved. Pray for our police force. The actions of one person do not represent the actions of all. And we have people within this church, in law enforcement, that come from a number of different racial backgrounds, and I consider all of them friends, and I'm thankful for them. Pray for that community that's hurting. Pray that the actions of one would not have an impact on the actions of all. And then finally, let's, let's pray for our community. Man, I am thankful for how things have played out in the Abilene area. I'm thankful for God's provision in that. It has been healthy and pray that it would continue to be so. That there would be conversations that would start. And not just reconciliation during the week, but reconciliation on Sunday morning. Unfortunately, this is one of the most segregated hours of the week, and it shouldn't be. Pray that we wouldn't describe churches by color anymore. Pray that there would be unity in the body, and that our area might be a place that leads out in that. God, we love you. We're thankful for your grace. God, we look forward to the day when you make all things right. And the issues that we have to talk about and that we have to teach our kids about, we don't have to deal with anymore because we will spend an eternity in freedom. Heal wounds, God. Let us wake up each day saying, what can I do to make this better? We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.
All right, okay, now I've got to shift a little bit. Um, speaking of shifting, as we've kind of walked through this series, if you're kind of new with us, if you're joining in online, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this message that Jesus gives where he, he took his disciples, he took a number of followers, and they go up on a mountainside, and he just begins to teach. And as he teaches, there's, there's these moments where everything kind of shifts a little bit. And so he has a moment where he talks about the Beatitudes, what we call the supreme blessedness. And then he goes into the law, and he says, hey, you've heard this said, but this is actually how it's supposed to be lived out. We spent the last several weeks kind of looking at Christian piety and, you know, the way that we're supposed to give, the way that we're supposed to pray, the way we're supposed to fast. And today is going to mark another shift. And he's going to begin to speak into some areas where he says, hey, if you're not careful, and this is where we should really, really listen, because if we're not careful, we can fall into spiritual pitfalls. And this is what Jesus is going to cover over the next several weeks. And so he's going to go from those things in the next several weeks. He's going to say, hey, look, I love you, and I love you enough to warn you. And it's, we're loved enough to be warned, we should listen to that warning. So when I talk to my kids, there's times where I love them and I warn them about things and I need them to listen because I understand there could be consequences that they may not be seen. And this is where Jesus is going to go today. And before we get to that, though, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you uh, because I want to try and set up this. I know we talk about when we paint a picture. Like, I want to try and get our minds wrapped around this concept of what's at the center. Now, we live in the solar system. You guys know that. If you're not, welcome. Uh, now, the question is, okay, what's the center of the solar system? Is it Earth? Is it us? Or could it be the sun? Now, most of us, now, if if you're one of the flat earth people, that's cool. It's kind of weird to watch the whole SpaceX thing, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not arguing that. But most of us today realize the sun is at the center of our solar system. Everything else, all the planets, just rotate around the sun. In fact, they rotate a very long ways, and this is the nerdy part. You have the sun in the center, 36 million miles away, you have Mercury. 76 million miles away from the sun, you have Venus. 94 million miles away, these are averages. If you're an absolute science person, don't hit me on this. This is the average. 94 million miles away, you have the Earth. Mars is sitting at uh, 142 million miles from the sun. And then we start to make some cosmic jumps. Jupiter's 484 million miles from the sun. Saturn's 889 million miles from the sun. And then we get into how in the world did we find these things? Uranus is 1.79 billion miles from the sun. Neptune is 2.8 billion miles from the sun. And because most of my education happened in the 90s and mid-2000s, Pluto is 3.6 billion miles from the sun. I care about the little guy. Billions of miles from the sun. And yet in the middle of our solar system sits this celestial star. And everything else rotates and rotates and rotates around it. It's the center. However, in the year 1542 and pretty much all the years before that, mankind believed it was not the sun, it was the earth that sat at the center of the universe. And everything revolved around us. And in 1543, Nicholas Copernicus puts forth this idea and says, hey, it's not so much about us the sun is the center. We need to put that as the center and everything else rotates around that. And that's kind of a mind-blowing concept. Now, this isn't scriptural, but I, I want you to read this quote from a guy named Johann Wolfgang. 
He says, of all the discoveries and opinions, none have had or exerted a greater effect on the human spirit than the doctrine of Copernicus. The world has scarcely become known as round and complete in itself when it was asked to waive the tremendous privilege of being the center of the universe. Oftentimes, that's still how we see ourselves, the center of the universe. Everything revolves around us. And sometimes, if we're honest, at the center of that is what Jesus is going to address today. Because today is about treasure. It's about possession. It's about monetary value. And if we're really honest, a lot of times we take those things and we put them at the center. And everything else rotates and gravitates around those things. If I can just have more money, if I can just have more possessions, that is what will bring me satisfaction. And everything rotates around that. That's the old earth theory. Because the reality is we need to remove that idea of possession and monetary and, and financial gain. And we need to put God, we need to put the gospel at the center. And when everything rotates around that, all is well in the world. And that's what Jesus comes to address today because he says if you take possession and everything you do rotates around that, that's the center, that can be taken and it can be gone and it's never going to satisfy. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus is going to begin to address this. And he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we have to kind of define, when he talks about treasure, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth. So what, what are treasures on earth? It's just stuff. It's stuff in several different ways. One of the first ways that it's stuff is this. Cash. Now, this isn't a $1 bill. This is a $100 bill. I got to return this. <laughs> There's something about this. When you see it, you kind of perk up a little bit. Like, this is a decent amount of cash. Like, if I were to say right now, hey, we're going to play a game this morning, and you can win this. Like, you don't have to say it or admit it, but something inside of you just kind of went, oh, ooh, I almost raised my hand. Like, online right now, they're going, hey, we can type this in, right? Let's vote in ballot. We can do that. Like, there is something about this. That's intriguing, that's captivating, and we desire it. And there's a reason that we desire it. We live in a society where you do have to have this. It's important. We've seen that over the last number of months where people have lost jobs, and this kind of goes away, and you feel it. But we desire that. And there's this desire, if we're not careful, we want more. And we want more, and at first it's 10 bucks when you're a kid. And then it graduates up to 100 bucks. And then think of the moment where you looked at your bank account and you went, there's a comma. There's a comma right now. Like, it's, you got your first job, and maybe you put some of that money in the bank, and you realize you still didn't have as many bills as you do these days. And it's like, there's a comma in my bank account. You can find me at Journeys and Pacific Sun. Like, that's where I'll be. I'll just be hanging out there. And I... You're laughing because you know exactly the timeline that 
we're living in. That's where the laughter comes from. But there's that moment also where you go, hey, and one comma, look at the number of commas I have. And if we're not careful, that's what we begin to chase after. We begin to chase after commas. And he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on heaven. It's not about cash. It's not about material possessions. Those things that, especially being westernized and American, we say, hey, I, I deserve and need this size house and this size yard. And I need this type of clothing and I have to drive this type of car and I have to have this type of grass and all the different things that we think about and we go, there are material possessions that we are just hardwired to look at and go, those are my treasures on heaven. But here's the reality. We want more of those because they inevitably fade. Think of it this way. When you're eight or nine years old, those are kind of pivotal years. You're getting a little bit older. You you want something for Christmas. That's the greatest thing that could possibly happen to you. But if you're an adult in here today, I don't think you remember what you got for your eighth or ninth Christmas. As amazing as it was, that faded away, unless you're one of those people that got like a pony or something that year. Like, it just fades away. It gets old, and we want more, and we desire more, and we chase after that. And if your identity is found in simply having possessions, treasures on earth, no matter how good they are, and intrinsically, they aren't always bad, but when we find our identity in possession, whether it be cash or material, it can also be taken. Jesus says, you can have all these treasures on earth, but in an instant, they can go away. Have all of your heart in a stock market and see how that works sometimes. Have all of your heart in a possession, and that can be snapped away very quickly. Like he says, hey, there's times where it's rust and moth. There's these things that just over time eat away at it where it's not as cool anymore. Or it can be a quick thing, and a thief can break in, and that thing that you have your identity in, that thing that you love so much, can instantly be taken from you. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot like that where you actually had something stolen. It's pretty alarming. Like, I remember being in college and went to the gym one time, got done, put my clothes back on. Next morning, I'm in class, and I get a phone call from my bank, and they said, hey, we think there's some fraudulent charges on your account, like all of them. I was like, that's weird. So I took my wallet out. My credit card was gone. My debit card was gone. So when I got in my locker, took those things, put everything back like it was, and never knew it was gone. And, man, they went on a spending spree. They maxed out my credit card, and they zeroed my debit card out. They had a really fun time. They went to Hastings, which also kind of dates this whole conversation. <laughs> spent 400 bucks at Hastings. I think they had the munchies because they spent $75 at Jack in the Box. Um, they filled up a lot of gas and different things, maxed out my card. And, like, I remember looking at that going, that was mine. Like, in an instant, it wasn't anymore. Someone took it. It was stolen. And, look, if that's your identity, all those things can be taken. What you hold is so precious can very quickly be taken when it's on earth. Those are earthly treasures. However, treasures in heaven, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven do a couple of things. They provide a reward right now. Those times where you serve, those times where you love and you get to look into someone's eyes that you've been able to minister to, that's a beautiful thing. And, man, the reward that comes with that is greater than any material possession. We, we know that if you've been in that spot, you know what that feels like. But here's the crazy thing. He's talking about treasures in heaven. As good as that feels today, it pales in comparison to the reward that we'll have in heaven. 
So as good as that feels right now, one day we are going to arrive in eternity and what we felt now is just going to blow up into something even greater. This is what treasures in heaven look like. Treasures in heaven are the idea that we, we understand, yes, there's material, we're all going to have stuff. But treasures in heaven are the moment where we say, hey, I understand I'm going to be content and I see the bigger picture. It leads to a question that you have to ask. Is your greatest treasure material or is it spiritual? Is your greatest treasure, is the thing that you hold most high, something that can easily be taken or is it something deep and spiritual? Material can be taken away and there's pain that comes with that. That's reality. But the pain that comes from losing something material is nothing compared to the joy of serving God in obedience and learning what spiritual treasure in heaven looks like. So what does it look like? Look in Deuteronomy chapter 7. A little Old Testament this morning. In Deuteronomy 7, in in chapter 7 and verse 6, it says this. It says, For you are the people holy to the Lord your God, The Lord your God has chosen you to be his people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. I love that verse because it gives a little bit of picture to God's heart. What does God treasure? Well, first and foremost, he treasures himself. If that sounds egotistical, it's not because he is God. There is nothing higher, so he can't look up to something to go, I treasure that more, I want that more, because he's God. He's, he's perfect in his holiness. He's omnipotent. He is everything. And so he treasures himself in a sense. Now, does he have possessions that he can treasure? Yes. He has the cosmos. We've talked in the past about Solomon. Solomon did everything that you've done that you thought was cool, and he did it way better. And so you had a party, and you had some hors d'oeuvres that you found on Pinterest, and you made them, you were really proud, and you had a Bluetooth speaker, played some music, and Solomon looks at that and goes, that's petty. I shut down a cattle yard because that's how many cows it took to feed the 20-plus thousand people that show up for my parties. Shut down vineyards. I've got a band called U2 that's playing, or whatever it was in Hebrew Day. Like, everything he did was just bigger than what you can do, and yet God looks at that and goes, that's cute, and pats him on the head. Because Solomon says, hey, you planted a garden, I planted national forests. And God goes, oh, you planted a national forest, that's cute. I called this one the Milky Way. (laughs) Made it in a day. It's great. Billions of stars. Does he have possessions? Yes, he has the cosmos. God can look at every single electron in the universe and go, that's mine. The Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and we're not as agrarian as they used to be. Understand, that means he has it all. So does he have material possessions? Yes. And yet, Scripture would say that he looks at his chosen people and says, you're my treasured possession. He treasures people. And for us to store up treasures in heaven, we've got to have that same kind of heart. Our treasure in heaven needs to look like caring for people. It needs to look like physically meeting people's needs because we care about them. It needs to look like evangelism and reaching out with the gospel and saying, I have hope. I have a future. I understand what grace and mercy look like, and I want others to know that as well because it's the heart of God. And I want to share that with others. It's looking at people, no matter their color, 
no matter their gender, and having compassion on them. Treasures in heaven are good works. We said a couple weeks ago, hey, as the body of Christ, what makes the church the church? Good works. It's our evidence to a lost and dying world that there is a gracious God. And he's prepared those things before us. And it's us actively looking and saying, what can I do to serve and love my neighbor? What can I do to compassionately love on them and walk them through a difficult situation? I care about people. And that stores up treasure in heaven. It's being kingdom-minded and saying, hey, what makes a kingdom impact? What furthers the kingdom of God? It's not always just material. It's us saying, hey, I'm going to store these treasures in heaven above. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Great theologian said, where you invest your love, you invest your life. It's not a theologian. It's a music lyric that I took from Mumford and Son. And I think they took it from this verse. He says, where your heart is, your treasure will be also. So is your heart in possessions or is your heart set on things above? And he continues on in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now why does he kind of go on a tangent and start talking about eyes? It still plays into the possessions and the material. Because eyes are the way that we, it's the way that we either illuminate or darken our spiritual growth. What comes in through our eyes is either going to illuminate us towards God or it's going to cloud and darken our vision of spiritual growth. And so if we're going to illuminate, it begins in God's word. This is, this is how he illuminates us to things that we go, man, that's not as important as I thought it was because what I find in here points us towards something much, much greater. And so his word illuminates. Seeing people with compassion versus resentment illuminates. It allows us to see the needs of people and not stereotypes or things that we've brought in baggage-wise. It allows us to illuminate in that way. Looking for opportunities to serve. You heard Kristen talk earlier. Hey, what am, I, am I clouding my vision or am I taking active steps and saying, hey, I want to illuminate. I want to grow spiritually. And one of the ways that we do that is serving because we have community within that. We make it possible for things like this to happen where we say, hey, we're caring about more people. And so we do those things, and that either illuminates or there's a darkening. Darkening with our eyes is anything that distracts us from God's glory. It's what we call idolatry. Now, a lot of times we think of idolatry as like some symbol or, you know, a carving or something like that. Most of us don't have some shrine at home that we put above God. We would never say that. But our actions speak something different sometimes. And we, at times we go, man, I have chased after stuff for so long I can't even see God. My vision is so cloudy right now. That darkness is so heavy, just like Scripture said. I've wanted this more than anything, and then I get that, and it's not enough. And I chase after this and this and this, and I get my hand on it, and then it's not enough. That's the story of a lot of people. And he says, hey, it's not about chasing after idolatry. We don't put anything above God. It's not about self-desire of money and possessions of power over being gospel-driven. Those things begin to darken our view. And so I would say this, a healthy eye looks past possessions 
to eternity. And this is where it kind of gets interesting, where it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, now this is where in the original text, it carried a little more weight to it. We've, we've talked that, hey, the Bible wasn't written in English. That word healthy, it's trying to convey an idea, but there's something a little bit deeper there. Because it comes from this Greek word, haplos. And that word is kind of difficult to translate, but we know at the heart of it, it means either single-minded or generous. And so when you put those things together, a lot of times people will say healthy or good or something like that, kind of this mingling of them. But what that really carries is this idea that, hey, if your eye is generous, it sees light. And so the generous eye gives monetarily. The generous eye gives of its possessions knowing, hey, I can have these possessions, but they don't have to rule me. They can have a kingdom impact. And that kingdom impact can last well beyond myself. So years ago, I had this big student retreat, hundreds of kids. And we would have host homes where these kids would stay for the weekend. And I had one house. Their responsibility was to be the ninth grade boys' home. And there were like 25 ninth grade boys staying in their upstairs den area, which meant a couple of things. When I showed up to their house, they had a very nice house. I I talked with the owners, the couple, they were some of our volunteers. We had a great conversation. And I knew all the guys were upstairs. And we just sat and had this beautiful like adult time. And then I was going to go hang out with the students. And I started to walk up the stairs to their den. And I'll never forget, when my head got to the second from the top stair, everything changed. Literally, the biometric pressure and humidity went up infinitely because there are 25 ninth grade boys sleeping there. The temperature went up because there's 25 ninth grade boys that have probably had wrestling matches. And so the body heat is everywhere, which also means there's now this amazing smell of B.O. and Axe combating each other. 25 ninth grade boys in a small, confined area literally creates its own ecosystem. There were plants growing with Axe on them. I mean, just weird. Like, it stunk. There are candy wrappers everywhere. All of this stuff. And yet that couple, most of you would go, no. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yet this couple loved it. I'd originally planned on having several homes so we could kind of spread the, the smell out a little bit. And they were like, no, we love these kids. Bring them all to our house. They understood, hey, we got a, we got a good-sized house. We want to use it to further the kingdom of God because we understand these guys are going to grow a little bit. Yeah, they may smell, but there's also the opportunity for them to grow in their faith. And they said, hey, it's not about the possession. It's about eternity. They looked past that. The generous eye gives monetarily in that way. They give of their possessions because we know that you will be happier, you will be more content, and you will rest in greater obedience if you have God's heart for generosity. You see people like God sees people. You see situations like God sees people, and we become generous in the way that he is generous towards us, and let's be honest, we're super blessed. There are people hiding to have church this morning in parts of the earth. There are people in huts with no air conditioning having church this morning. There are people that are oppressed in ways that we can't understand from a government standpoint, living in civil war, genocide, and above. We are supremely blessed every single day. 
And when we have a generous heart, like God has been generous to us, we watch our happiness, we watch our feeling of joy and obedience skyrocket. And so the question becomes, oh, also, sorry, got ahead of myself. It's also single-minded. Like the, the, the I, like the, the, it can be generous or it can be single-minded. When we're single-minded, we can push aside all the other distractions and we start to look towards what's most important. The kingdom of God. Seeing the kingdom of God advanced. Seeing the kingdom of God advance so that the gospel goes out and lives are changed. Seeing the kingdom of God go out so that our kids and our students grow knowing him early. We invest in that. We love in that. We become singular focused where we say, hey, it's not about all the other stuff. It's about what advances the kingdom of God. What makes the gospel known and what pushes back darkness? And so the question becomes, hey, how can I tell if I have a clouded vision or if I'm truly letting the light in? This is where it's difficult. But hear me on this. If you want to know if you've got a clear vision or if it's clouded, look at the extent of your generosity. And that's one that we have to take a step back. And there's times where they say, hey, you know what you love? Just go look at your bank account. A lot of times I love food. <laughs> like that's what I find there. You look at your bank account and it, it's a telltale of, hey, what does my generosity look like? Like how am I loving in this way? And sometimes that's tough. You got to go home and think on that a little bit and dwell on that. But you ask the question, am I kingdom focused or am I at the center of all of this? And then he wraps up with this in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So after all the teaching, after all the things that he's explained with treasures and letting your eye be how everything comes into it, it really comes down to two things. It comes down to who will you serve? Will you serve God or will you serve money, possessions, what we call mammon? Because that word money, it says you cannot serve God and money. The word that the Bible translates there, some of you kind of grew up in church, you heard this, or if your translation carries it, it's this word mammon. And it means possessions. Um, it means things like material possessions, treasures, or riches. But it, it, it's interesting. We'll kind of wrap up with this. That word, the way that it came into the Hebrew language, the way they used it, it meant to, it carried the idea of to entrust. And it wasn't a negative thing. It was the understanding that, hey, God has given us this stuff. He's entrusted us with possessions that don't make it bad because God gave it to us, right? And it carried kind of a positive thing. You would talk about, hey, as much as I respect my possessions, I respect my neighbors. But over time, something happened with that word. It went from a passive, which we would say is that which is entrusted, which is a good thing. God entrusting us with things because we are then, we know if we're entrusted for something, we're to do something with it. But somewhere along the way, it went from passive to active, which meant this, that in which a man trusts, which is corrupted. It's one thing for us to be entrusted with it. It's another for us to trust it 
as supreme. And this is where that shift happens, where it goes from God at the center to possession. So we have to ask the question, well, which am I going to serve? Am I going to look at God and say, you are supreme and you are holy, and I gain so much more out of following you, or am I going to continue to chase after these things? And my prayer for us and for everyone watching would be that hopefully we can say what Joshua says in Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, not chase after something. But know that that something is right here. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, this morning, if there's someone here, if there's someone listening, and they don't know what it looks like to be a new creation, they don't know what it looks like to be in Christ, and they're wrestling with that, and maybe their story is, I have tried every possession, whether it be good in the world's eyes or bad in the world's eyes, and it's still not satisfying. God, I pray that you would show them this morning what it looks like to be a treasured possession of God that they would know that Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life and laid his life down so that we could experience forgiveness. God, I pray that you would convict them of their sin and God, they would want and desire to turn away from that and say, I don't want that anymore, I want to follow Christ. And if that's you this morning, we celebrate that. That's true life change. And then, God, for many of us, I pray that we wouldn't buy into the lie that just things are going to make us happy. God, that we would look at you and go, you are so much greater. And you are so much better than any of those things. And God, that we would decide today, I am going to serve you first and foremost. And lay up treasures in heaven, God, that yes, they bring a reward now, but I pray for the day that we arrive at heaven and we all celebrate the good that you placed in our lives. God, I pray that would be the cry of this body and of your church. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.